Hello and you're very welcome to this episode of our Living Wholeheartedly podcast as we think and speak together about what it means to be someone who lives wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus for the transformation of the world. Our guest today is the Reverend David Turtle, who is the President-Designate of the Methodist Church in Ireland. He'll be installed as President during the Methodist Conference on the evening of the 8th of June. David, you're very welcome and thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Heather. Tell us a bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, um, your bit about your background and how you came to faith. Yeah, so... um I'm married to Pamela. Uh, we have four children, Stephen, uh, Amy, Sam and Ellie. And uh, I grew up in Stewartstown in County Tyrone, uh, which some people will know and some people will never have heard of. <laughs> uh, but uh, I grew up as, uh, in a family, farming family. I uh, grew up there in a Methodist family. Uh, attending the little Methodist church in Stewartstown, which was open at that stage. My mother and father were both really heavily involved in the the leadership and the running of that little church and also involved uh, in a local mission hall as well. So Sundays were busy days and uh, uh, throughout the week uh, we were were going to different meetings and things. So certainly from a very early age um, I was very aware of uh, the good news of Jesus. I was very aware uh, of uh, the the need to to, to put faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, But despite having, I think, probably um, asked Jesus into my heart on numerous occasions as a, as a young child, um, it's going back to whenever I would be about 15 or so, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I, I would look to the time whenever I actually uh, had my heart strangely warmed, to use that, uh, that Methodist phrase, uh, and, and actually received uh, Jesus into my life at that stage. Uh, and uh, that came about if you uh, are, are, are able to, to listen to the story through a whole uh, catalogue of, of people who were involved in different ways in my life. Uh, and uh, I, I'd started attending a CE in Dungannon circuit uh, uh, fairly early in my teens. And uh, someone who you might recognise, Stephen Skuse, was uh-huh. leading that group at that stage. Uh, and I remember going along to, we would have shared in, in different meetings in different places. I remember going along to uh, a meeting in the Moy uh, Methodist. And there, um, Stephen at the front said, all of the members of the group here this evening are Christians. Uh, and actually that was something that really prompted and pricked my heart because I knew I was there and actually I wasn't. Mm. Uh, and uh, so uh, so I uh, uh, was on a little bit, little bit of a journey and uh, over the, the next year or so uh, continued with that. Uh, and then it was at uh, uh, the, the opening mission of uh, the refurbishment of Newton Kelly Methodist right. Church, which again was a tiny little church um, where Brian Fletcher was the preacher. Uh, and following that, uh, I went and came home and I, I can remember still praying 
to to invite Jesus into my heart and my life. Um, as I said, grew up on a family farm. Um, the expectation, I suppose, is always there as the only son that I would uh, uh, pick up uh, that. And certainly that was something that I was, uh, th that was no barrier to me. I, mm -hmm. I just really felt that was what I, uh, I was going to do. And after studying agriculture, came home to farm and uh, worked there for a further 12 years on the, nice. on the farm and uh, in partnership with my father and uh, working alongside my mum as well. And, and so that was just a very natural uh, context to, to be in. And uh, from there, uh, I, I also got involved in different ministries, different aspects of church life, uh, but uh, felt that that was probably where life was, was going yes. uh, for, for the rest of my days. So what happened next then? What was the journey from there to Methodist ministry? Yeah, so um, I, I'd, as a teenager, I'd got involved in a, in a group called Lighthouse Christian Ministries in Dungannon. And um, probably, I often say this, probably the most united um, fellowship I've ever been part of with the most diverse range of denominations who are involved. So right across the spectrum of denominations, but a real focus on evangelism, real focus on uh, on Bible study and fellowship. And uh, that just really um, meant that I, I just really grew as a, as a young disciple and really pushed me in in different ways because um, I probably still am quite a quiet uh, natured person, but certainly uh, at that stage would have found it uh, very scary to to think of going out and um, doing street evangelism yeah. and things like that, which were uh, things that really forced me to grow in faith and to really trust God and to really uh, to, to, to look for him in, in places where normally you wouldn't have been in the, the Middle East um, on the streets of Portadown and Dungannon late at night on a Friday and Saturday night. Uh, so, so those things were really the uh, things that encouraged me to grow. Then um, Reverend John Brooks, who was uh -huh. uh, our minister at the time, uh, tapped me on the shoulder and uh, said, would I ever consider... Uh, moving forward as a local preacher and uh, so uh, after praying and thinking about that for a while uh, began that began that journey and uh, I suppose through those years um, I was also involved in leadership in the Gannon circuit and, and through those years it just felt like that was where God had me mm -hmm. but there was this nagging discontent I suppose that started and uh, the one thing I was really convinced was that it, it definitely couldn't be ordained <laughs> ministry. Um, I tried all sorts of other um, possibly even scarier options okay. in terms of um, serving overseas, um, uh, development work because of my background in agriculture, nice. those kinds of things. None of those doors opened. Um, and so it was uh, in April 2002, I can remember coming to a place where uh, I just said, Lord, you know, whatever it is, okay. even if it's the, <laughs> even if it's the Methodist <laughs> ministry. Um, uh, and, you know, the, it was almost there was that instant um, sense of, of God uh, speaking to me the following 
day, my my reading for the day was um, whoever uh, leaves father and mother and fields really? uh, for for me in the gospel. And uh, the day after, you know, I was thinking this will take some time. It'll take a long time to extract uh, myself from from uh, the life of farming, and that was a big decision oh, yeah. because. Uh, the, farm had been in our family for generations um, I was the only boy this was going to mean selling the dairy herd all of those kinds of things so uh, so I said this is going to take a bit of time the following day just read that account never noticed it before where Jesus called the first disciples and he said immediately they left their nets and followed me and so um, six months later um, I was beginning work as a lay pastor in the Ochnachloy and Monaghan circuit and um, with no theological training whatsoever they had uh, they were they had to cope with my learning curve <laughs> um, but were very very gracious and awesome. uh, that began the journey then through candidacy and onto Churchill. So it wasn't just a, a decision or a calling that affected you. It actually had a real effect for your yeah. family as well. Yeah. How was that for your mum and dad? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I have to say they were incredibly supportive yeah. and incredibly gracious, even though it came as an absolute bombshell uh -huh. because over the years where I had been struggling with this, I'd sort of felt... Um, I was protecting from them from the uncertainty of it by not um, talking about it. And um, so, you know, whenever it came to the stage, I'd sort of already reached that conclusion. Uh, and so it came as a bit of a bombshell for them, I'm sure. But as I say, uh, they, they were incredibly supportive and, and have been. Uh, right throughout the okay. years since. It's yeah. wonderful. And it's really interesting listening how you've been part of groups that have different denominations and traditions as part of them. Mm. Why are you still a Methodist? Yeah, well, I, I, again, you know, I suppose the the simplest uh, answer, I suppose, which people will uh, automatically deduce is because, you know, you were immersed in it as a okay. child. That's where you started off. That's, um, he, But, you know, I did go through those uh, phases um, where, you know, I was probably quite critical of the Methodist Church and moved around different uh, fellowships. And uh, But the, the thing that brings me back and uh, brought me back I suppose was uh, just the fact that uh, Methodist emphasis on all okay. uh, and actually that sense of the Father's love uh, being for all uh, and again I suppose as David has drawn out in the past year about God's lavish love um, that uh, that sense of just uh, the extent uh, of, of God's uh, grace and mercy towards us uh, and I think Methodism reflects that really well uh, and also then just the the sense that within Methodism there's not just that openness but actually there's a real recognition of the cost of discipleship and that actually it's not uh, an easy road and that uh, and that it does require commitment and it does require us uh, to really identify the cost of following Jesus uh, but yet um, but but also just gives us a way to to live in that and to to live in the good of uh, of that as well absolutely
And as you well know, we're exploring what living wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus looks like. And obviously cost is part of that. And you'll draw that out and have drawn it out. What does that living wholeheartedly look like for you every day? Yeah, I mean, for me, living wholeheartedly is much more about the little things than it is about the things that are dramatic. You'll hear over the the next the course of the next year, um, me mention Dallas Willard's name mm-hmm. on a number of occasions. Uh, I'm quite sure, but um, one of the most significant things uh, I, I think in my spiritual development, even though it sounds really silly and um, uh, insignificant, uh, was one time whenever I, uh, I was listening to a recorded message of. Uh, Dallas Willard talking and he spoke about how he had this practice that before he got out of bed in the morning, uh, before he put his feet on the floor, he said, and he said audibly, um, uh, 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 the Lord is in this place. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I've I've sort of picked up that practice and uh, I don't say it all audibly or I'd probably uh, get an elbow in the ribs before I get out of bed. But um but I try to say the Lord is in this place uh, as an acknowledgement that as we step into those uh, a new day, as we step into the situations throughout the day, th- that God's here. So it's that sense, living wholeheartedly for me is keeping uh, before me and keeping in my mind that God is here uh, uh, and that God is with us, um, whatever situation that we find ourselves in. So um, on the days whenever I don't do that and uh, I let the concern and the worry of the day ahead consume me and uh, I'm grumpy and irritable and um, impatient and all of those things Um, that's usually because I haven't acknowledged that the Lord's in that place Uh, whenever I rush into important meetings or uh, services and don't acknowledge that the Lord's in that place then um, that's not a place where I'm living wholeheartedly whenever I uh, get into a difficult pastoral conversation and people are in real pain and hurt uh, and I haven't acknowledged that the Lord is in that place, then for me that's not about living wholeheartedly. But whenever, uh, uh, on those occasions throughout the day, whenever uh, again and again I bring myself back and, and just take a breath and pause, uh, and acknowledge God's here. Uh, what is it that He's calling me to do? What is it that He's asking me to do in this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's what living wholeheartedly uh, is about. Um, uh, and uh, if you'll humour me, I'll, I'll share a little quote do. from Dallas Willard. Uh, well, actually, a rather uh, chunky quote from Dallas <laughs> Willard. Um, where, where he talks about this. Uh, and to me, it just really summarizes um, my thoughts around that. He says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. 
In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north, no matter how the compass is moved. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Uh, And again, that phrase just, he will become the pole star of our inward beings, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is one that, to me, defines living wholeheartedly. It's wonderful. Thank you. And that rootedness, it's just, it's wonderful. Mm. And even to hear him talking about longing, because I think so mm. often we feel it's about performing and doing yeah. and actually bringing yeah. us back. If, if God's yeah. the longing, he's the yeah. star. It's a wonderful yeah. quotation. Yeah. You're currently stationed in uh, Lagan Valley in South Down circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us some stories about what God's doing on that circuit? Yeah. Um, again, I could tell you about programs and initiatives and things that are happening there um, for me it's the the stories from individuals that mm. are the the significant things so you know uh, for me we see God at work whenever um, a little boy uh, in one of our smaller societies says he wants to go to Sunday school because he likes the leaders there um, it's whenever we've got uh, someone who's been serving in their slot in the, the at the stand at the Balmoral show, and uh, they're come across a teenage girl who's going through really difficult family issues, uh, and they're able to tell her God loves you, uh, and say that actually that was the whole point of them being there for that three hours. Um, it's whenever you've got uh, a group of young people um, coming into membership and they're serving week by week and leading in worship week by week and actually um, fleshing out the words of Paul to Timothy where he uh, says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, uh, but be an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it's whenever you've got people who are... Uh, actually looking around uh, and uh, moving into an area and considering what church fellowship to go to. And they don't go to the big church down the road, but they go to the little one uh, where there's a real family and community of faith. Uh, It's all of those places that we see that God's doing things. And as I say, there's uh, there's lots of really great initiatives and things that people are involved in, but... Uh, it's those things. It's the 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 couple who are uh, facing a, a really difficult diagnosis, uh, and yet are, are saying that that just focuses them on how precious life is and and how they need to be serving uh, others and serving God uh, in in the days that they uh, are are there. Uh, so just all of those places where we just see um, people really taken seriously that call to discipleship Mm -hmm. and that call to to actually following Jesus in the place that it counts in their lives day by day by day. Yeah, very much so. And what about what about the difficult times for you? 
when it's been tough in ministry or tough in life? Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose as all of us look back, you know, there, there, we've all faced um, those difficult times. We've had a number of um, difficult times associated with illness, either um, through myself or through family. Probably um, the, the one that I would regard as as the most difficult was um, back in 2011. Uh, my wife Pamela, she. Uh, became ill quite suddenly and um, it took about three weeks for her to be diagnosed with uh, viral meningitis and uh, that led to a really really slow recovery and it was really left it was really debilitating uh, really significant impact for her without going into all of the detail of that um, and uh, I think she dealt with it much better than I did um, uh, and uh, you know very early on uh, resolved that that she was going to get through this she was going to get better um, made a commitment um, just a year in which it was a, it was about a five-year recovery but uh, about a year in she decided she was going to go to Everest base camp uh, <laughs> which <you> <laughs> uh, um, I have to say was a bit of an eye-rolling moment for for me uh, but again she 2018 she got there um, so uh, but those times were times when um, probably I, I really struggled because, again, and I'm sure lots of people testify that to this that it's uh, it's a, it's easier when you're the one in the in the midst of the the, the difficulty rather than the one watching on. Uh, but and again, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, looking back, we can see. Um, God's hand in the detail of that and in the sequencing of that and all of the things that were going on and we were stationed uh, in the midst of that uh, and it seemed totally wrong to me um, uh, but it was Pamela who said no this is right um, uh, uh, and actually uh, we see again and again how God's hand was in all of that uh, and led us right through. So, David, as, as I've been listening, uh, hearing about how God's been at work throughout your life and that ongoing commitment to God, your theme for your presidential year is Jesus' words of take my yoke upon you. Can you tell us about why and how you came to that passage? Yeah, well, uh, it's... Um, again, some people talk about having a, a life verse and I, I'm not really comfortable with the, with the concept or the phrase because I, th I believe we need to be open to the whole of the scriptures and be open to what God uh, is saying to us by a spirit um, through all of the words of scripture. But um, certainly the verses that that phrase is drawn from at the end of Matthew chapter 11 uh, is a passage that has uh, sat with me and been the, the place where I've come back to again and again uh, over uh, a long, long time, over uh, maybe between 15 and 20 years. Uh, and it's not a comfortable passage. No. Uh, it's not a passage that uh, it's easy to, to, to return to. Uh, it's a passage that I'm drawn to because um, I sense the lack in my relationship with Jesus where actually um, he's describing something which uh, I don't feel that I, uh, I, I'm fully able to, to lay hold of. 
Uh, and so when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, uh, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke's easy and my burden is light. Whenever Jesus says that, to me there's just a thirst for that. There's a longing for that kind of soul rest that Jesus is describing. Uh, and uh, and that's what brings me back again and again. Uh, and so actually, whenever I started to think about theme for this year, it was trying to get away from that passage rather than run to it because I, I knew that I had a, a bias towards it. Uh, and yet as I, I, as I thought and as I prayed again and again, um, that was coming through stronger and stronger, uh, that actually this was, was where I was to go. Um, uh, and uh, as I've wrestled with that passage over the years, um, uh, again, there, there are influential voices and uh, writers and, uh, and people who have uh, had an input in my understanding of that over the years. Uh, but certainly that sense of taking my yoke upon you, uh, most people will uh, understand a yoke to be that wooden beam that uh, joins two oxen or two horses or two goats, I think, in some parts of the world, um, and unites them in a common uh, purpose, brings them together for a common task. Uh, and uh, there's also that understanding in terms of the context of the, the, the scripture where, where Jesus is speaking and they would have understood very clearly that a rabbi a rabbi's yoke was his teaching so in that uh, time uh, different yeah, rabbis would talk about uh, disciples taking on their yoke and taking on their teaching uh, and so that's very evident uh, to, to the context which perhaps isn't as clear to us uh, but as Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, you know, step into the yoke with me, mm. uh, come and work with me, come and walk with me, go at the pace I'm going at, go in the direction I'm going at, uh, live life the way that I live it. Uh, and I think that's uh, the overriding, uh, I suppose, uh, thought for me is that actually, we can't uh, experience the life of Jesus without walking in the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And too often we try to to bolt that onto our existing lives uh, and expect to experience the life that Jesus promised. Mm -hmm. But in reality, uh, that's never going to happen because uh, we we just try to squeeze him in along with everything else where actually Jesus is calling us uh, to take a radical look uh, at how we're living our lives uh, and to live our lives according to the practices of Jesus uh, and to walk in the way of Jesus. Uh, and that's how we experience the yoke being easy uh, and the burden being light. Uh, and that's something that uh, I, I hope we can explore um, over the course of the year. That's great. Thank you. And I'm really fascinated by... The fact that that's clearly, you know, you spoke about how that was a longing and how it was actually mm. about trying to get away from that passage. Yeah. Rather, and yet how God's clearly led you to it. 
But it is tough, isn't it, David? You know, and I'm very interested listening, thinking the easier thing for you as a disciple or as president designate mm-hmm. to do is go somewhere comfortable and soft. Mm-hmm. But actually, God's leading you into a passage that that yeah. is about a burden that's light, but that has challenge and cost yeah. to it as well. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, I think um, that different people will go in all sorts of directions with yeah. with this, but uh, the place where uh, I've sort of felt it's led me and the place where uh, I think many commentators have um, have felt that this these words of Jesus are leading us to uh, is is to put in place practices in our lives okay. that sustain us and that cause us to walk in the way of Jesus. Uh, and uh, within Methodism, um, I think we've got the, the, the best phrase for, for those kinds of practices in terms of means of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, people will refer to them as spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. Um, Andrew Roberts, I think, calls them holy habits. Uh, but, but those practices that actually orientate our lives towards Jesus and open ourselves to the to the transforming grace of God um, and uh, again Dallas Willard has a lovely phrase where he talks about it's not about earning uh, it, it's it, it's about resting in Jesus it's about uh, there needs to be effort but it's not about earning lovely uh, and uh, so it brings us right back to our Wesleyan roots uh, and back to that sense of uh, the the early days of the Methodist movement where we're uh, called to, to engage um, in a meaningful way. Uh, we're called to commit to being part of uh, fellowship on various levels uh, and at various uh, degrees of authenticity and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and openness with each other but actually uh, uh, to do that in commitment but alongside a, a commitment in our own hearts and lives to walk in the way of Jesus uh, and that's you know we've got the the familiar ones like uh, Bible reading and meditation uh, all the various forms of of prayer worship holy communion you know all of the things that we 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 think are familiar, but actually uh, things that would perhaps have slipped off our radar yeah. in the modern church. You know, things like fasting, mm-hmm. like solitude and silence, like simplicity, uh, which is a really big thing in in our connected world. Uh, so, all sorts of practices that aren't going to be for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, but but I hope across the the course of the year that we can explore some of them, and certainly it's. Um, not someone who is coming to these uh, as an expert or as someone who doesn't struggle incredibly. Um, but I think, I suppose, I've seen enough to know that there's life there yeah. uh, and, that, and that that's where I experience and know Jesus as we are trained uh, to walk in the way of Jesus by these practices in our lives day by day. Thank you. And there's lovely, you know, I'm brought back as you speak to that picture of the yoke being yoked together and mm-hmm. united in a common purpose mm-hmm. and thinking how that's also so much part of the Wesleyan tradition, as you said, mm-hmm. that that we help each other in these things yeah. and that we're in this together, um, which is significant, isn't yes, it? Yeah, absolutely. yeah. 
Yeah, so, no, I mean, all of these um, things, it, it's it's very easy. And I suppose one of the things that um, we, we find in the history of the church is that, you know, there's this tendency for us um, to either get completely submerged into uh, an entirely social agenda or uh, perhaps to go off and um, just be in glorious isolation and uh, and think about our relationship with God in that way. Uh, but I think within our Wesleyan tradition, there is that lovely um, balance of uh, personal holiness uh, and a commitment to that and uh, a commitment to, to really uh, following after Jesus in our own hearts and lives. But uh, also the 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 recognition that that's best done in community and in mm-hmm. uh, places where uh, we're called to be accountable one to another and where we're called to encourage one another uh, and cheer one another on. As we finish, looking ahead to conference. So, um, and at conference, let's name it, our, our theme is together as followers yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. So picking up that, uh, taking our yoke and how we help each other uh, in that uh, as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. As you look ahead to conference, um, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your concerns? Uh, not just for that weekend in June, but mm-hmm. as you look beyond that as well, what are your hopes, fears, concerns? for the Methodist Church in Ireland yeah um, I think uh, probably my hopes are um, just at the other end of my fears (laughs) Um, and uh, I think I've had to boil it down um, to one thing for both for conference and for the year um, is really that we get focused on doing the work of church uh, and we get focused on the mechanics of that uh, and we miss the opportunity to step into uh, the fact that the kingdom of heaven is near Uh, because that's to me the message of Jesus again and again as he came to earth was the kingdom of heaven's near Mm -hmm. Uh, and as he sent the spirit uh, uh, and the opportunity for that kingdom of heaven being near to each and every one of us um, that's the opportunity that we have uh, as as individuals and as a denomination Uh, and so to me at conference you know it's this amazing opportunity, and I have to confess that I don't always look <laughs> towards conference <laughs> no in that way. But uh, it's an amazing opportunity for us as we gather people from right across our connection, across this island, people from every circuit, uh, and we're all together in one place. And the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, I, are we going to step into that? Are we going to uh, step into that as we go back to our societies and it feels different and it's it's not the same as being together? Um, what's, what's God stirring our hearts to do? And is there something that as we gather uh, for conference that actually God really wants to say to us and to, uh, to stir us towards? Uh, because... Uh, I think my fear is that we miss that opportunity. My hope is that we step into it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Will we pray together just as we finish? Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for uh, the wonderful truth that we've been reminded of, that the kingdom of heaven's near and that that's possible, Jesus, because of all that you are and all that you've done. So, Lord, we pray for your blessing for David as he's installed as president of the Methodist Church in Ireland, that he would continue to be filled with your spirit and that you would use him uh, as he leads this part of your church through this year. Lord, we pray for Pamela and for his family and for his home circuit uh, through the year that is to come. And we surrender the conference to you. And Lord, our prayer is, as David has just said, that all who gather would know the encouragement, not just of one another, but of your spirit, and that you would send us home in the power of your spirit, uh, transformed, uh, committed to you, excited about taking your yoke upon us, uh, determined uh, to walk in your ways, that the life of your people might echo the life of Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. So thank you for uh, listening or watching this podcast. Can I remind you that there are a number of episodes that you might want to catch up on um, and to remind you too uh, of the Methodist Conference meeting from um, the 8th to the 10th of June to pray for David and for all that will happen during that conference as we continue to reflect on what it is to live wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world and as we focus in particular on what it is to be followers of Jesus together for Jesus glory thank you